0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Great to see you. If you have your Bibles, you can find Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We are finishing up the last few verses in the book that we've been going through uh, for the summer. And so if you haven't, um, maybe you're just joining with us or joining online or, or want to catch up, you can, you know, we have a podcast. You can do that on iTunes or, or Apple Podcasts or uh, YouTubes if you want to see a face. You can catch up there if you'd like. But uh, last few verses today and... Um, and uh, I'm excited to, to, to finish it out here because uh, as I was getting ready for today, I was thinking about a few uh, months ago, I had a friend from Georgia come up um, and uh, we went up into Montreat and we were hiking and, and we hit a trail and you're in the trail and there's a you know, beautiful creek, but especially this time of year, everything's so grown up and you can't even really see the sky for most of the trail. And so we're hiking up the trail We're, we're you know, I am, um, it's kind of a sore subject for our family because I took our family on a really brutal hike uh, a few weeks ago, but I'm bad to think that a hike is not going to be as long or hard as I remember it last time, okay? So, so, uh, so I'm, I tell this friend, I'm like, hey, this, this hike is super worth it. There's a great view, you know, it's like a mile, not that bad, and we're like three miles in, and we have not seen a view. So it kind of felt like we're like trudging along, and, and there's the trees, and it feels overhead, you know, we can't really see, but then all of a sudden you come to the trail there's a there's a sharp turn to the left but if you stay straight and kind of pop through the woods there's kind of this hidden like rock face about the size of this stage and you you look over the mountains and you can see Mount Mitchell and that big black mountain range on the left and it looks over towards Old Fort and there's the uh, Table Rock in the distance and it was like okay this was this was great and so what what we have in the end of ecclesiastes if you've been going through it it can a lot of it can feel like a trudge like a lot of it's like man how does this connect maybe even to the rest of the Bible? How is God working in this? This can feel kind of hopeless and just kind of negative. And I think the ending for us today, for a lot of us, is going to feel kind of like that coming out of the trees and seeing the view, and you're like, oh, okay, that was, there it is, there it is. For some of us, honestly, the ending might be a little confusing, like how does this fit in? How is this good news? And so we're going to talk about that for us, but but let, let, me, let me pray for us, and then I'm going to read verses 9 through 14 of Ecclesiastes 12, and then uh, we'll jump into the sermon. Jesus, thank you. Uh, for your word father thank you for your holy spirit that that as we open your word as we read it as we hear it uh, that that your word says testifies about itself that it's good for teaching and reproof and that your spirit illumines the truth to us so so holy spirit do that be with us today and may we leave here more trust and faith in you father through your son jesus than when we came in this morning it's in the name of jesus we pray amen amen let me read these last few verses so here we kind of step back a little bit, and, and the author of Ecclesiastes has referred to himself as the preacher or the teacher all throughout, and so these last few verses, we actually have a different uh, writer who's kind of reflecting on everything that the preacher has done. So, so kind of reflecting on everything that the author of Ecclesiastes has given us, and here's what they say. They say, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and uprightly he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there's no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. A good word as we go back into the school year. The end of the matter, all has been heard. So fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so here we have a person reflecting on, on what the preacher has done for us. Most people think that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes and much of what's been called the wisdom literature in the Bible, which comes after Psalms, you know, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Songs of Song. And so, so what we have today is I want to just give us three, three observations and then end with a few questions, okay? All right, so who's ready for a three-point alliterated outline from a preacher this morning? Here, here's the first thing we get. Verses 9 and 10, it shows us that we get an example of wisdom. So here's the example of wisdom. Being wise, the preacher taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. And the, words sought to find, the preacher sought to find words, of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth and so here's what we learned the example of wisdom that we have is just the fact and the reality of how the preacher how Solomon handled the wisdom that was given to him See, so we we, we learn from first Kings that Solomon was approached by God and said hey give as Solomon became king he said hey ask me anything you want and I'll give it to you and Solomon said I just want to basically he said I just want to be wise so I can lead your people well. And So God said, okay, I'll give it to you. I'll give, you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll make you the wisest person on the earth and the wisest king Israel will ever have. And so, I, you know, the example here is how he handled the wisdom given to him, right? I mean, he, it says that with, with weighing out and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care, the way that he, he handled the wisdom that he was given is a great example for us. Because for us, you know, we have kind of different stages of life, right? And so I want to kind of address different, different just kind of as a pastoral note, kind of different ages in the room. Students, middle school, high school students, uh, let me just say that the adults in your life are actually a gift. Okay? It's true. I promise. They're act- the, the, the way they're trying to, to give you wisdom, to help you live life, even if it's a decision that you don't want or that you don't agree with or you think they don't know what they're talking about, I, they really are a gift, okay? They're, they're doing their best to pass down the wisdom that they've gained. Anybody uh, watch the show Bluey? Anybody heard of that show on Disney? It's a fun, it's these Australian shepherds. It's from Australia and it's like eight minute shows. And it's just super fun. It's, it's these two little Australian shepherd dogs. And, and they basically, every, every episode is like a new game with their parents. And there's typically a great little life lesson. But there's this one episode that we watched recently. And the whole thing is the dad's like, hey, you just have to trust me. I've just been on this earth longer than you. And, and, and he says, I wasn't born yesterday. And so they played a game called Born Yesterday where they basically had to live the whole episode, all eight minutes, without the wisdom of their dad. And they had to try to teach him everything as if he were born yesterday. See, they they had to learn. They didn't appreciate the wisdom that he was giving them. So so middle school, high schoolers, teenagers, I promise, your parents, your teachers, the people in your life, they are an actual gift, okay? And they're trying to pass down and handle the wisdom that they've been given. And then uh, for those of us in our 20s, if you're in your 20s, I've, been, I've, been, I've heard it said that the 20s are the decade of preparation. Sometimes it can be the most frustrating. And, and for those of us who have been through our 20s, maybe we, we can remember this. Like the 20s are where you want to go ahead and have all the things you have. But a lot of your 20s is just preparing for what you're going to be given one day, right? Like you want a seat at the table, but you don't have it yet in your job. You know, like, like you don't want to go through any more school, but you know it's a good idea to get to where you want to be. See the, the in the twenties, it's it's the it's the chance to keep apprenticing under somebody to keep learning. You know, we can't be a master at our trade or craft or our career in our twenties, right? We just got to kind of keep moving forward. And then in my season of life, here's what I know: like I'm I'm in my thirties. We just added our third uh, uh, little girl to the to the household. I think so far, I'm only a few years into my 30s, I think so far the 30s is the chance to handle the wisdom I've been given by just saying, like, I don't know even half as much as I thought I did. Like, to think now that my parents had to go through everything I went through without Google, <laughs> it's, 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 it's shown me to, to give a lot of grace, right? Like, like And mo- a lot of the things that I thought in life that were black and white are just not as black and white as, as it, as it would conveniently be. Right. I feel like that's thirties. I've only ever been this old. So people older than me, I don't know. You know, here's what I'm going to say for you folks, empty nesters, folks that have kids older than, than my stage of life. Uh, man, we would love, here's what I would love. Maybe this is just selfishly, but I think it's a pastoral note, man, please come to the potlucks and teach us how to raise our kids. Like, if you're older than me, like, a lot of you guys, I know your kids, and they're great. Like, I would just love to know, like, how, like, is it going to be okay? You know what I'm saying? Like, like this season of life is just tough right now, but, you know, is it, and so, so I'm just encouraged, so, but let me just ask kind of with that, like, like, how are we handling the wisdom that we've been given? This wisdom that's been given to us by our life experience, but also from God, like, like, for those of us who have, who have put our faith in Jesus, who, who have spent time in God's Word, and we've gained this life of wisdom, and we've gained this, this knowledge, like, how are you handling it? Are you weighing it out and studying it and arranging it with care? And I love in verse 10 the way he puts it, the preacher sought to find words of delight. It's kind of, kind of an interesting formula for sharing truth with other people, right? Right? is he says, the preacher sought to find words of delight, and then he wrote words of truth. See, see the way that, that kind of phrase, to find words of delight, another way to say it is, uh, the NIV says it like, he sought to find just the right words. And it wasn't necessarily that the words that made him feel good, but he sought words of delight, meaning the way that other, the way that other people would take what he said. He sought to find just the right words, and then uprightly he wrote words of truth. See, for a lot of us, we like to skip the finding the right words and just go straight to sharing truth. And and there's a difference in being right and in sharing truth, right? Like, it's interesting that in the first 300 years of church history, there was tons of stuff written, the, the, early, the earliest church fathers and mothers coming out of, of the, the time when Jesus was alive and the apostles carried on the ministry of Jesus, there's a lot of writing. It's interesting that almost nothing was written that, that made up any kind of like doctrinal statement or theological like catechism like we have now. Almost everything they wrote was on how to love your neighbor like Jesus told us to. What they did was, what we could learn from that is there was a patience there to find the words of delight, find just the right words that connect with the people around you, and then come with truth. Do you know, statistically, it is almost impossible to convince someone that they're wrong and you're right in an argument just simply by debate and sharing truth. Like, almost impossible. But if you can find just the right way, if you can find the words of delight first to share with someone before you share your truth, then you're more likely to share. And that's what the early church fathers were, were on to there, I think. You know, it's, 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 it kind of connects to what James said uh, later when he was talking about the tongue being like a fire. And it being the most deadly thing that, that humans have to deal with in life, the way that we talk and the way we use our words. Because here's what he said. He said, James said that we bless our Lord and Father and with the same mouth we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. See, another way to kind of put what, what the way the, the preacher used the wisdom that he was given is that he realized that with what he's been given, he can either use it to bless someone or to, hurt or to curse someone. To heal or to hurt? And and here's just a a few things, a few warning signs that you may be seeking to to be more right than about finding the right words to talk with the people you're around. One, you find yourself more defensive before the conversation has even started. It's a pretty good sign that you care more about being right than sharing words of delight. Another one, you care more about changing someone's mind than learning from them. And then another way is that you've made secondary issues of life primary, and so you end up finding yourself more and more insulated and unable to connect with people around you. See, because the preacher, if you read Kings, the, the, the book in the Bible, 1 and 2nd Kings, it starts with Solomon. He gains wisdom, and there's people coming from all over the world to see the wisdom and the goodness that he stored up in, in God's physical, earthly kingdom in Israel. But What's interesting is that After a few chapters, Solomon, he stopped seeking the wisdom of God, and he stopped seeking those words of delight, and he ends up taking in wisdom and words from other people, and he doesn't use it well. And almost immediately after that, Israel finds himself in war and battle over and over and over. Because what happened was as Solomon sought, as he stopped seeking to arrange and study and share the words of truth and find the words of delight, he ended up insulating himself and finding himself in conflict with other people over and over. See, the, the wisdom, shown, the example of wisdom the preacher shows us that he was more willing to seek words of delight for other people. And then, you know, it made me think about Jesus, right? Jesus, when addressing people who were not a part of God's kingdom, right? People who were oppressed, people who maybe did not believe in God, people who were far from God, it's interesting that he always used grace and kindness, and he called people in. But whenever he was talking with people, the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law who thought they were in God's kingdom but were, were more concerned with being right than being true with others, he used really intense languages, and he would, he would use images and parables to, to show them that they've insulated themselves for, from being able to share the words of delight with the people around them. That's the first observation. It's an example of wisdom. The second one's an an exercise of wisdom. Look at verses eleven and twelve. It says, "The words of the wise are like goads, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd." The, the Hebrews kind of treat it. Probably means like they are given by a shepherd. Carrying on the illustration of the goads and the nails, we'll talk about it in a second. It says, "My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there's no end, and much study is a weariness." Of the flesh. I remember uh, in high school, I played soccer all through uh, life. Still love to play whenever I can. And I remember uh, first two years of high school, I was like five foot six or seven and like 130 pounds with rocks in my pocket. You know, the, and then I came back my junior year and I was like six one and like 180 pounds, and my my calves just would not stop cramping, like cr- had a crazy growth spurt in high school. And so because of that, my, uh, my coach changed my position. So I changed positions on the field totally. And I, what happened was, because basically my whole life I'd played the same position, changed positions on the field. And the, and uh, the coach, I would find myself in the game. Or I wouldn't find myself, I, I would start kind of wandering back to the position that I played before. And my coach would just yell out from the sideline. I remember he would just yell, he'd say, where are you? And I kind of had to stop and be like, okay, I'm supposed to be back over here. You know, I'm supposed to be in this spot. And so I just remember that's what he would yell all the time, like, where are you? Matt, where are you? Because I wasn't where I was supposed to be. And what he's saying is that the exercise of wisdom that we see here is kind of like my coach was using the words there to to redirect me back to where I needed to be. Uh, What shepherds would do, a goad was like kind of a long stick, Uh, typically five or six feet long, and they would put spikes and nails at the end of them because sheep have wool that's really thick. And so in in order to get the sheep's attention, they'd have these long sticks and they'd kind of poke them with them to get them back in the right way. And so what he's saying is the exercise of wisdom that we have here is just being willing not only to take in the word of God and take in the wisdom that God's trying to teach us in life, but it's actually taking it and allowing it to guide us and allowing it to rub up against the things that, that may, maybe we think are true or the way to live, but, but it offers something different than that. See, wisdom that we learn from, from, from God's Word, that we learn from life experience, that we learn from the people around us, is what God puts in our lives to help get us like, back on the right track. It helps us stay within those lines. It's where like Psalm 16 says that the lines have fallen in pleasant places for me. It's knowing that God has kind of set limits on our lives that keep us moving straight. And see, the, the Bible is, is not simply just a book of like wisdom sayings. It, it is that, but man, it's, it's so much more than that. It, it's a way that teaches us. It's God's word given to us to show us that he is redeeming all of creation back to him. And it gives us a vision for life that, that aligns with the way that God is moving and working in our world. See, since Adam and Eve sinned, and that foreign agent in God's good world came into the creation, sin that leads to death, God has been doing the work of reconciling his good creation back to himself. And he has a plan. He has a plan for how humans, how we can thrive, how we can flourish as human beings in relationships with each other and with him. And when it's, un- it's when we as humans, understand that it's only through submitting and letting his wisdom guide us that, that we can experience that flourishing and we can live well in his kingdom. So a kingdom has four things that exist. Four things that exist in a kingdom to make it a kingdom, right? First thing, a king, right? The second thing are people that, he, that the king rules over. And then there's a law, right? And then there's like a land or a region, See, God's kingdom has all of those things. The way that we live in God's kingdom has all of those things. You look through the New Testament, right? Jesus stands up as the king on the mountain, the new Moses, and he gives the sermon on the mount to tell us how the the old law is being fulfilled in him. And then we have the New Testament authors and the letters figuring out, okay, all right, that's true, Jesus inaugurated his kingdom by coming, by dying to pay the penalty for sin and raising from the grave. And then the, the New Testament authors are writing just saying, okay, here's how we figure out how that works. That's why they're all written with names at the top. You know, to, to a city in Rome is, is going to figure it out a little different than a city in Ephesus and a city in Colossae and, and Thessalonica. And so it's just figuring out that life. But all of it comes back to how do we live in the reality and how can we be guided by the wisdom that God's given us in his word and by sending his son Jesus like, like, like how does that work for us because the problem is verse 12 is a very real thing that we experience in life isn't it right when it says like, like hey beware of anything that goes beyond the wisdom that's been given to us by the one shepherd right He says, because we know basically what that is, is it's not necessarily creating our own words, but we do that kind of intrinsically humans. Think about how much effort we go through on a a day-to-day basis to try to create a world that thinks we don't need God. Right? Like just think of the the systems and structures that we create in our lives and that as human beings and and, and I think culture is a really great thing. And I think government and and economy and philosophies and all that are really important things to function well. But just just all of those things when they go together, it it gets us the, the the trap is when it gets us to think that we have these things so we no longer need God. Or the opposite, where these things exist and they think they're the only way that we can experience God. Or that they're things that up, that like support and hold up God in our lives. And we find out that it's true, right? That it's exhausting. That anything beyond what God's given us is a weariness of the flesh. And I brought up the kingdom because it's just a good reminder for us. Like, thank God that He has established a kingdom and a rule that knows no end, right? That Jesus actually rose from the grave and ascended to heaven and is sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling his people, right? We we are a part of a kingdom when we place our faith in Jesus, and as we live the life that Jesus has called us, we participate in a kingdom that is not dependent on the economy or the strength of the dollar, right? Thank God we live a life and love to those we, in cont- we come in contact with in our jobs, our schools, our neighborhoods, because we know, right, as we read throughout the, 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 the scriptures and as we look at the history and the reality of the world around us, that even when nations and empires crumble, that we have a king that does not sit on an earthly throne. Like, thank God that we don't have to despair and give into fear when we look around us and the culture is changing so rapidly that we don't know how to keep up with it. Because we have God's word, his law, his way of life for us that has proven profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, as Paul wrote to Timothy. Right? Thank, Thank God that we can stand in the midst of a beautiful heritage of faith when we read Psalm 46 that says that, that God will not be moved even though the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. See, because what happens is when, when God's given us his word, he's given us his wisdom, he's given us the way of life to live within his kingdom, and then we don't do that. Have you ever tried walking up current, like against the current in a river? Anybody tried doing that? Um, last week I was I was running a, a race and, and um, towards the, end, the last two miles of the race there was there was two river crossings. Okay, so so you you're you're like on mile six or mile five and then you got to run through some rivers. Okay, that was just mean. It was brutal because like I'm exhausted, I'm tired. Right, I've been, I've been going as hard as I can, and then i got to go. And, and the last one, actually, you had to walk like 100 yards diagonally upstream across the river. It's like a 40-foot wide river. And so what it felt like is exactly what he talks about. Beware of going anything beyond these. Beware of, of, of knowing the way that God and, and the words that God has given us to live by and then acting and going against those things. And so here's the third observation, and then we're going to get to some questions to close out. The third one is embracing wisdom. So so we saw the example of wisdom and exercise of wisdom, and then how we embrace wisdom. The end of the matter, all has been heard. So fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, and with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so like I said at the beginning, like some of us read the conclusion to Ecclesiastes and here it is, it's summed up. Here's the, like we've heard everything, we've read Ecclesiastes, we've read the, the wisdom that the preacher has to give us and so here's the reality. Fear God and obey him because one day we're gonna be judged for what we've done. Whether what we've done outright or whether we've done in secret. Okay. Good news? Ben. Right? Like that's the thing, like like we talk, like talk the hike, like that's what made me think of the hike is your height, you come through and you see it and you're like, wow, you know, or like my buddy from Georgia, we walk out onto the rock face and I did not know that he was terrified of heights. Like almost passed out and he's a big dude. Like if he had passed out, I don't know what I would have done because I mean it was a sheer drop. To me, I'm like that doesn't, scare. like that was beautiful. It was totally worth it for the view. Totally worth it. But for him, he was not so sure, right? So here's what I want to do. I want to tell us why, two reasons why the fear of God and keeping his commands, because he's going to bring every deed into light, is actually good news. The first thing, it's good news because the fact that we fear God means that we know him, right? It means that we know God. We know who he is, right? We've met him. And we know that because we've met God, it's true. Salvation can come from nowhere else. Right? No matter matter what we think about, like our culture right now wants us to believe the, the idea that I think, therefore I am. So we can build an identity based on whatever we want to be. And that's just too much pressure. Because what happens if you mess up? Or what happens if you can't? but then we come and we meet a God who we place our faith in Jesus and he says, no, no, I'm gonna give you an identity that you don't have to achieve, but all you have to do is accept it. I'm gonna call you son, I'm gonna call you daughter, I'm gonna bring you into my family. See, we fear God because we know him. As humans, we ache for salvation, right? We look for it in, in all kinds of ways, not bad things, they're great things, but things that will not give us ultimately what we're looking for, right? I mean, whether it's therapy, counseling, relationships, families, jobs, monies, whatever it is, we look for it for money and success, popularity, and it's not there either. It's in God alone because it's only God who created this good world that can take the sin and the things that make brokenness in the world out of it. See, God alone provides the way for us as humans to be whole, to come back to the garden with him where we walk and we hear his voice, to be fully known by him. See, those good things, when they become ultimate things in our lives, we end up fearing them because they let us down. Right? Tim Keller says it like this. He says, the idols start by promising you everything, but they end up taking everything and give nothing. God gave us everything. He gave his son that while we were still sinners, Jesus came and he died for us. See, it's, it's actually good news because if we fear God, it means we know God. But secondly, it's good news because we're finally shown that our hard work of obeying his commands was actually worth it. Like, not that, not that there's any doubt. I don't want to put doubt here. But it's the appearing of Jesus to judge the living and the dead that vindicates us, the New Testament authors write, right? That's why Paul said that in Romans 1, that God will judge the secrets of our hearts through Jesus. Like, that is really good news because I couldn't imagine how terrible it would be for God to judge all my secrets without the mediator Jesus being in between. Right? Like, we have a wood stove in our house and... and it's how it heats the front part of our house in the wintertime. It's right in our living room, and I love it. But with little kids, it kind of changes the dynamic of it a little bit, right, when you have a crawler in the house. So what we did was we bought this thing that, that in, the, in the wintertime we drill into the wall, and it goes around and it protects it. So what happens is our kids can get close enough to the fire to experience its power and its warmth without getting burned, like, like without feeling the true reality of being in a fire, And see, what Jesus does, Jesus offers us as the mediator this chance to get close enough to the all-creating, sustaining power of God, who that because of sin in the world sent his son to die to pay the penalty for that sin and to take on all the wrath for us. So that one day when we stand before God and he judges our hearts and he judges the reality of how we've treated this creation that he's given us and entrusted us to, that there's a mediator. That there's that screen between me and the, and the consuming fire. And his name is Jesus. Because he came to pay the price for our sins. That's why this is actually really good news. And so as we end, here's a question I want to ask. What are you building your life on? Like, what are you banking your life on? Like, like what are you using to build truth maps in your life? If we closed our eyes right now and I said, hey, think about your, like, like first grade school, okay? Could you picture it? Like, if we actually did that, like, close your eyes for a second. I said, okay, picture walking into school in the, in the first or second grade. Can you picture that school? Like, can you picture what it's like to walk in and go down the hallway and go in the classroom? Can Anybody? Nod, Okay. Can you remember what it's like to go to the bathroom? You all line up and you go down to the restroom. See, we we humans naturally build mental maps. And we can recall those things. Like we can probably think back to when we were little kids and we were at our grandparents' house or we were at a friend's house or something like that. See, we construct those maps as we go throughout life. And we do the same thing for the way we see the world around us. We build truth maps in our minds. And we allow those to go into our hearts. And so let me just ask you, like what are you allowing to guide you? Like, like I'm, not, I'm going to try to do this without shaming anyone, but part of my job as a, as a pastor and preacher is to call you into a deeper discipleship with Jesus. And so I'm just going to ask, like, how many verses of Scripture can you quote? Right, like, like, like some of us can't name the books of the Bible, but we can name every team and maybe even starting lineup in our favorite league. You know, like, some of us like let YouTube and TikTok put us to sleep at night and we're learning worldviews and truths that the culture and the world around us gives and, and we could not lay out on a piece of paper what the gospel of Jesus is. So like I said, I'm not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to ask, what are you allowing build the truth maps in your mind and heart? Like, like what are you allowing to do that? Some of us are guided by the words of influencers on social media, while we have no mentor in real life that can teach us the way of following Jesus, that can emulate. We don't don't know someone by name. It's interesting that on Sesame Street, uh, used to, on Elmo's World, uh, he would talk to Dorothy, and then they would go, and they would show real life like things happen, and they would have an adult teach Elmo how to do stuff, and now they have no longer dorothy but they have smarty the smartphone and it says what do we do when we don't know a question we look it up and that just shows like not right or wrong that just shows where we are as a culture it's it's the passing down of wisdom no longer comes from person to person but from person to phone or person to google and so i'm just going to challenge us like like it's ironic so many times we see posts on online about living in biblical community but the person that I see reposting it or whatever is, is someone who has a big Instagram following that they've never met in real life. Right, like that's the irony we see, right? We, we, most of us need to be in a relationship that's iron sharpening iron, but we don't want guidance. And so what we end up being is iron trying to be sharpened by someone on a digital platform that we've never actually met. And so so, like I said, I don't want to shame, I just want to ask, what's the thing that you're, that's guiding your life? Like, like is, is the reality of what Jesus has done and, 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 and how that, does that affect your life enough to where it's changing the way that you seek words to talk to other people? Because it's interesting that Proverbs, the, the first book in the wisdom literature, it starts by reminding us that, that wisdom and true knowledge begins with the fear of God. Ecclesiastes ends by reminding us that because of wisdom, we should fear God. Revelation ends by reminding us that God is coming. So what it basically says is, so you better take care of the words that he's given you. Right, Jesus said that those who hear these words of mine and does them is like a wise person who builds his house on a rock. So like, what are you gonna do with what you've been given with these words, the word of God, the wisdom that you've been given. See, Paul wrote, and he said to the Roman church that the gospel, meaning the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, to prove him Lord over all creation is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. Psalm 130, verses three and four says, if you, Lord, should keep count of our sins, who could stand before you? but with you there is full redemption so that we may fear you see forgiveness of our sins lead to us fearing God because we realize he's the most powerful he's so much more powerful than our strongest enemies of sin and death and when we see his wisdom as guiding us in life as we see it better to build our life on the words and the wisdom of God over everything else That's when we start to let it be goads in our lives, the nails on the stick that keep us in line and we see it as a blessing and not a curse. And so let me just ask kind of as we close out just a few questions. Number one, like like can you believe this? Like can you believe that God's way is good? And can you follow that? And then the second question I want to ask is can you believe in Jesus? Because there might be some of us in the room today who, who we hear the good news of Jesus and we say, man, I, I want to be set free from my sin. I want to be set free from death. I want to be in a relationship with God where I can know him and I can be led by him. And, and I, want, I want his spirit to be in me so that it can teach me truths and guide me in life. And I would just say, if you want to believe that, or maybe you're believing it for the first time, would you just tell him? Like you can just tell him, you can say, God, I believe in what you've that you paid the price for my sin and offered life through Jesus, and I want to follow you. And so a few action steps leaving today. I've gotten some feedback saying people actually like homework when I do this at the end of a sermon. So a few action steps. Number one, um, if you don't have a consistent plan that's structured to, to read the Bible, let me just encourage you to get on one. All right, I, I don't, I'm like naturally the way that I'm wired, averse to structure in my life. The best thing I ever did was, was in Bible college have a professor tell me to start a Bible reading plan and keep up with it. So I'm not, some of us, a Bible in a year would be a lot, but get a Bible reading plan. If you don't know where to start, reach out to me. You can email me, text me, call me. I'd love to help you find one. Just get on a Bible reading plan and start your day with scripture before anything else. Even if it's one verse. Just start there. Just, just, just want, get on a Bible reading plan if you're not on one. And start taking in the Word of God. And if you're like, hey, I'm not a reader, let me just say that's okay. We live in 2023. There are apps that will read the Bible out loud to you. Okay? A great one is called the Dwell app. I like to use that one because you can set nice sounds and there's, there's like different accents and stuff like that. Dwell Bible app's a good one. And then uh, let me say too, like as, we were, as I was talking, I was saying it's good for us to understand that fearing God is good because we know him and we understand what he's done for us in Jesus. Uh, Let me just offer to you to make confession a normal part of your day. Not as just like paying lip service to God, but actually believing the reality that we are broken people. And even though we've placed our faith in Jesus and we believe that he's paid the price for our sin, we confess our sin to God because it says when we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So here's something I use. I, I put it on the screen. If you want this, I can send it to you. I got this from like a prayer app that I use that, that refreshes a few times a day. But, but here's just a, pr- a prayer that I use. It's, for me, it's especially good as a, it's just kind of a fire starter in my prayer life. Um, and so here's the prayer I use. I say, most merciful God, I confess that I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and what I've left undone. I've not loved you with my whole heart, and I've not loved my neighbors as myself. I'm truly sorry and I humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me and forgive me, that I may delight in your will and walk in your ways, to the glory of your name, amen. Let me pray for us and then we'll worship Jesus. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you that you as the blueprint of creation, as God's word, the creating powerful agent through whom all things were made, by whom all things were made, and for whom all things were made. That you, Jesus, became flesh and you lived among us. And we know that from your word that, that you, because you became human, you are totally, you're totally accustomed and, and familiar with the way of life, with betrayal, with hurt, with pain, with agony, with hunger, with thirst. And so, Jesus, as you sit in heaven, accomplishing the work that you came to do by inaugurating God's kingdom through your life, your teaching, your death, your resurrection, that as you sit at the right hand of the Father, and as our deeds are exposed to Him when we come and confess, that you're advocating for us. And that when, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, but he sees your righteousness because you who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. So Father, as we seek this week to, to find your wisdom through life, through people who have, who, have, who have been following you longer than we have, as we open your word to, to seek out your truth, meet us in those spaces. Holy Spirit, teach us those truths, guide us. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.